This is MSF Torah. It's not just a podcast. It's an in-depth analysis of the fundamentals of Torah. Presenting the truth as seen through the eyes of the Torah. Don't forget to follow the podcast, visit our website at msoftorah.com and join Patreon for exclusive content. After we've discussed the existence of God and understanding God as much as possible, we're now going to move on to the next part, which is we want to know whether God actually had instructions for mankind or not. We understand the purpose for creating the world, and it makes a lot of sense that if the purpose of creation is to benefit us, then there must be some instructions that God gave us, whether it's through through the first man, Adam, or whoever, wherever it is, at some point in history, it makes a lot of sense to assume that God must have given us instructions to teach us of what he wants from us, what exactly it is, how do we get this benefit and this perfection that God has to offer. So what are the instructions God gave to mankind? Maybe there are no instructions, but then it would be very strange. How would we get this perfection? If God made the world for our benefit and our perfection, how do we know what to do? then you have to tell me there's nothing objective or we'd have to have it within us, ourselves. That seems probably not true, but we can't disprove that. But let's start with an open mind. Were there instructions that God specifically gave to the human beings, to mankind, detailing what he wants from us and how to partake of this perfection that he has to offer? Of course, Judaism claims that these instructions were given at a time 3,000 years ago at Mount Sinai. And we're going to go into this claim, whether or not this has basis, how much basis it is, do we have to have blind faith about this, or can we have a rational, logical proof to this point? The first part of this discussion, we want to compare and contrast Judaism's claim to having these instructions versus other people's. There have been many, many other people, and we'll call them religions, who claim also to have the instructions also or exclusively to have the instructions that God gave. They say that if you follow these instructions, then you'll get the benefit that God has to offer. And our claim is that Judaism has these instructions. So who's right? Is everybody right? Is everybody wrong? Are we right? Are they wrong? Are they wrong? Are they right? And we're wrong. Who, which, how do we know who's going to have, who's telling the truth? Who really has God's instructions to mankind? So the first part of this, we're going to compare and compra- contrast the claim of the Torah Jew, a Judaism's claim to the fact that what we have is true, what we have is the true Torah, the true instructions that God gave to mankind, to everybody else's. We're going to contrast it to the all the other religions. And it's really, it's not going to be all the other religions, each and the, each one individually. What we're going to do is Judaism versus everybody else, because there's a significant difference between Judaism and everything else that really places them in two categories. There's Judaism and everything else, and everything else really belongs in one category next to Judaism. And we're going to explain why. So let's go through the, in order to, appreciate this, we have to make an introduction that has two parts to it. The introduction goes as follows. We have to understand that there is a vast difference between a falsifiable statement or an unfalsifiable statement. What do we mean when we say something, a statement, a claim that is falsifiable or something that's unfalsifiable? Well, very simply put, a falsifiable statement is something that could easily be proven false. If I'm trying to claim to you something and you can verifiably see 
that what I'm saying is not true, that's called a falsifiable statement. So if I were to claim to you, if we're sitting indoors and it's on a bright sunny day, and I were to say to you that it's raining outside, so you could easily look and see that I'm saying a lie. It's very, very easily checked. You could look outside and see that it's not raining outside, and you see that I'm lying. That's called a falsifiable statement. So the falsifiable statement is something that the lie, if it's a lie, can be checked. It doesn't mean it's a lie. You could have, I could say it's sunny outside, and it really is sunny outside. But the point is that the that if it were to be a lie, it could be checked. What, basically, I could verify this statement for myself. If you're claiming something to me, can I, the one you are claiming this to, verify whether it's true or not? That is a falsifiable statement. An unfalsifiable statement is the opposite of that, is you're trying to convince somebody of something that cannot be proven or falsified. If I try and convince you that, let's say, I told you what, what I ate for breakfast this morning. You were, this is in the afternoon and we're in a different building. And I told you at home this morning, I had cornflakes for breakfast and I was by myself. Nobody was there. So that's a statement that you can't know one way or another, whether it's true. It could be true and it could not be true. <clears throat> the, the issue is not whether it's for sure true or not true. You can't know. That's not the issue. Of course, I could be telling the truth when I say I had cornflakes for breakfast, but you can't know one way or another if it's true. And if I'm trying con to convince you, essentially you're relying on me. If you want to believe that I had cornflakes, that's your prerogative. If you want to not believe me, fine. But whether, but the point is that you're completely 100% reliant upon my claim. It's only because I'm saying this, that's the, if I'm trustworthy, you believe me. If I have motive to lie, or I'm not trustworthy, you might not believe me. But one way or another, you can't know for yourself. That's called an unfalsifiable statement. Now, when we talk about lies, let's get the following very, very clear. Again, we're not saying that an unfalsifiable statement is always going to be a lie. Again, I could be telling the truth. I really had cornflakes for breakfast this morning. That's not the point. The point is as follows, is that lies will always be unfalsifiable. So it's one of those things that one claims that work one way, not the other way. Unfalsifiable statements will not always be lies, but lies will always be unfalsifiable statements. And the reason is very simple, if you think about it. If I want to lie, what am I doing? I'm hiding the reality from you. Truth, as we explain, is synonymous with reality. So if I want to lie, I have to claim there's a reality that is there, it's real, but it's obviously not really real. That's why uh, that's what makes it a lie. So if you're able to check the actual reality, then my lie can't stand. So I have to make a lie in a way that you cannot verify what the actual actual reality would be. So if you if I tell you my car is red, if you could just go into my garage and see my car, that's 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 going to be a falsifiable statement. I'm not going to get away with with that lie if my car is obviously white. So you could just go check for yourself. So I have to tell you something that you're not going to be able to verify for yourself. And that's, what make, that's by definition what makes it unfalsifiable. And that's why all lies will be unfalsifiable because as the moment that you see what the real reality is, you realize that I've lied and my whole lie crumbles. The truth, the reality will always last longer than the lie. So the moment that I'm able to tell, test the lie and see whether the reality really matches up to what I said, you'll be able to tell that I'm lying. So what I have to do is make it very far away from you, not physically necessarily, but that you're not be able to tell whether I'm lying or telling the truth. That's what Chazal say, that if a person wants to lie, then what, is he, what he does is he means to say he, he makes it far away. He makes it unverifiable. That's what Chazal are saying. And then, of course, that's, it's very 
understandable, logical why a person would do that. So uh, again, unfalsifiable statements are not necessarily lies. You can't simply say by the fact that somebody said, made a claim that's unfalsifiable, that it's a lie. But lies will always be unfalsifiable. Therefore, the point is that if you're in a scenario where somebody's trying to convince you of something and tells you something unfalsifiable, you should have a red flag up already. Not necessarily he's lying. Again, it doesn't mean that it's for sure a lie, but it means that if a liar would be trying to convince you of something, this is the type of statement that he would say. And this is a key to understanding a lot of people, a lot of things that cults or all the other sorts is all of their lies will be 100% unfalsifiable for obvious reasons, as we, as we explained. Okay. So again, falsifiable statements will, again, it's not for sure that it's true, but if you're telling the truth, you would say such a statement. And very rarely would you make a falsifiable statement a lie. It's almost unfathomable. If you're trying to convince somebody about a lie, it's, um, I don't even know what scenario you would make it falsifiable that the person would be able to check, unless the person doesn't care, unless the person has no motive to check and will just accept the lie, no problem. But if a person has a lot of motive to check, then that's that's very silly to make it falsifiable because the person's going to know right away that it's a lie. So most likely falsifiable statements will be true. But again, it's not an ironclad rule, but it is most likely. And unfalsifiable statements will not always be lies, but lies will always be unfalsifiable. Therefore, if you have one of those statements where you can't verify for yourself, and certainly there's a lot to lose from this statement that, or even to gain, but there's something to lose you should have your red flag up already. There should be, it should be a warning sign for you that again, if, if he was really a liar, this person, this is exactly the type of thing that he would say. Now, when we continue on this path, this is the second part of the introduction. We understand that we should understand the following thing. If I take a case of a unfalsifiable statement, and I ask the following question, is the fact that someone believed a statement proof that the statement is true? So again, if I take any statement and we're going to obviously make a distinction between falsified and unfalsifiable in a moment. But for now, if I just ask the question, is the fact that somebody believes something necessarily true? The answer will be that it depends. It depends on what exactly does it depend on? Well, it depends on whether it's falsifiable or unfalsifiable. So let's start about an unfalsifiable statement, something that you can't verify. Is the fact that somebody believes one of those statements a proof that the statement is true? The answer obviously is no. If I convince you, if I tell you that I ate cornflakes this morning and you believe me, that doesn't prove that the claim was true. All it proves is I was able to convince you. But the nature of the claim, because you can verify, so your belief in it doesn't show that it's true. Because of the nature of the claim, the fact that you believe it doesn't show anything other than the fact that you believe me, not anything to the claim. So if I'm technically a person who's very convincing, I'm a good orator, whatever it is, so you believe me but it doesn't show anything about the claim itself. Since he can't, the person can't disprove it, it's technically possible for it to be true, so it could be believed, but it's also technically possible that it's not true. And the, the point is that the person can't disprove it, therefore you won't know one way or another. He can't know one way or another. So the fact that he believes it doesn't show me that it's true. It doesn't show me that it's false, but it doesn't show me that it's true either one. So it's a very important point to make that the fact that people believe an unfalsifiable statement does not give any credence to the statement. It doesn't make me even think that the statement should be true. I'm in the same position I was before. Somebody tell, makes a claim about something that I can't verify, and he tells me, well, he convinced five other people. How about he convinced a hundred other people? Well, it doesn't make a difference. They're all relying on his word. And the fact that they believed him doesn't show anything about the claim. It shows about the messenger, if anything, that he's very, he's a very convincing person. But the claim itself isn't strengthened by the fact that many people believe it. 
Now that's a very important point. When you, if you see a cult of thousands of people, so it doesn't make a difference if the cult member says to you, the, the leader says to you, look, look how many people believe this. You should know right away that if the claim he's making is unverifiable, then it makes no difference that there's a thousand people who believe it. So by an unfalsifiable statement, there is no proof to the claim by virtue of the fact that somebody believes it. And that should be very simple to understand. What about a falsifiable statement? So if I would claim something that's falsifiable to people, and then they would believe it. So what does that show of the claim? So it certainly lends credence to the fact that the claim is true. Because if it wasn't true, then why would they believe it? If they had in their ability to verify this and to debunk this claim, yet they come out believing it. So if I could assume that they're normal people, and certainly if they have some motive in this claim, that they would there's a reason for them not to want to believe it, some, at least something like that, and yet they still do believe it. So that means that it certainly get, lends, lends laws of credence to the fact that it could very well be true and really should be true. Because again, if they were to falsify this claim, they, they, sh- they, they should have. And if they believed it, it means that they weren't able to. For just accepting blindly this claim, if it's easily verifiable, then they would verify it. And if I could see their conclusion was that they didn't falsify it, rather they true, they, they believed it. So that's a pretty strong conclusion that it's true. So we could say that more or less when a person believes a falsifiable statement, it should be somewhat of a proof that it's true, not ironclad proof. There could be other reasons, but if it's something that's really verifiable, and certainly if the person has motive to not want to believe it, or that the claim creates some sort of difficulty on the person, something to that effect, and yet he still believes it, that would show pretty strongly that this is a pretty true claim. And the truth is even more than that. Even the fact that the person's making a falsifiable claim in the first place, if the, if you have a cult leader, let's say, who is claiming something that's verifiably, it's verified, you could verify whether it's true or not. So even the fact that he made such a claim actually, in a certain sense, already lends credence to the claim. Now, again, it doesn't mean necessarily that it's true, but what kind of liar would make a falsifiable statement like this? What kind of liar would make a claim that's easily verifiable to the people who's claiming to if it wasn't really true? So it's really two things. It's number one, that the fact that he would even claim such a thing should already give credence to it, should strengthen, that itself strengthens his claim that it's a true, that whatever he's saying is true. Because again, why would he say, if he was a liar, he would certainly say an unfalsifiable statement. So if he's telling it, if, and if he's telling the truth, he would certainly say, he could say a falsifiable statement. Again, it's not for sure, but it's pretty close to for sure. And then more than that, not, not only does he say this, the claim, does he make this falsifiable claim, but if people believed it, and if a lot of people believed it, especially when they have motive not to believe it, that certainly is very logical or rational to assume that actually the claim is true. And the reason why they didn't falsify it because it's not falsifiable, not in the sense of unfalsifiable, but it's not falsifiable because it's true. Okay, so that's the general understanding of falsifiable versus unfalsifiable. And it's very significant in terms of what claims are being made by religions, by cults, whatever it is. Now, obviously, our discussion is religion. So with this background, again, let's let's just clarify. We have two types of statements, one falsifiable, the other was unfalsifiable. The fact that falsifiable statements are easily verified and no liars would ever make a falsifiable statement. It doesn't mean for sure that a falsifiable statement is true, but it certainly, number one, gives credence if if the person is making such a claim, it seems to be true. And number two, if people believe that, it certainly strengthens the claim that it's true. As opposed to unfalsifiable statements, 
they don't necessarily, they're not necessarily lies, as we said, but certainly all lies are unfalsifiable. Therefore, if a person makes an unfalsifiable statement as a claim, it, he just loses a little bit of credence right away, because that's exactly what a liar would do. And the fact that many people believe that, I don't care how many people it is, it doesn't lend any credence to the claim, doesn't make it any more true, because people can believe anything as long as they can check it. So again, if I have a thousand people believing me that I ate cornflakes in the morning, so that doesn't show anything. If I have a thousand people believing that they ate cornflakes in the morning, I tell them they ate it and they all believe that. And you don't, you just observing. You, I come, I claim and say they all ate it and they all say, yes, we all ate cornflakes in the morning. So that's, it gives a lot of credence that it should be true. Okay. So now let's go and talk about all the religions in the world. And like I said, we're going to categorize them into two categories, Yiddishkeit, Judaism, and everything else. So we're going to start with everything else. Now let's pretend that we are a skeptic over here and we're starting from nothing. We don't know what's right, what's wrong. And somebody's trying to convince us about all the other religions. Again, we're going to leave Judaism aside for now. And not any particular religion, but just in general that the religions can be true. Let's say with this, let's start with that. So but we're going to be a skeptic. If we were a skeptic, what would we expect to find by all other religions? Would we expect them to start with an unfalsifiable statement or a falsifiable statement? Well, as a skeptic, we would expect that all other religions are lies. Now, again, this doesn't mean that they are, but we're just saying, if we were to suggest that all other religions are fake, so how would we explain how people believe them? Well, very simple. If they start with unfalsifiable statements, then that's fine. Then there's no problem with understanding the idea that people believe them, because again, an unfalsifiable statement is easily believed. And it doesn't sh- give any credence. If we expect all religions of the world to be lies, then how do we expect all the religions of the world to have started? Well, they have started with, let's say, we'll call them liars. Now, how do liars speak? What kind of claims do liars do? So we know liars say unfalsifiable claims. Lies, they'll say it like this, lies are always unfalsifiable. So if we expect all, if all religions of the world in our eyes, should we expect them to be lies, then we should expect all the religions in the world to have started with a lie, i.e. all the religions of the world to have started with an unfalsifiable claim. Now, what kind of claim would that be to start a religion that's unfalsifiable? Well, the similar to my cornflake case, cornflakes case, that I ate cornflakes in the morning, nobody was around, you either believe me or you don't believe me. So again, when I crafted my lie, I lie in a way that can't be disproven. That's exactly what Chazal say. So if we're expecting that these religions are lies, then they should have started with a lie. Now we have to go. So how did they start? So we're going to get there in a moment. But how would we expect that they start? The way we would expect all of them to start is exactly in this way, just like my cornflakes. What would that be in terms of religion? Last night, God came to me and said X, Y, and Z, and you have to follow it. Last night when nobody else is around, or in the forest when nobody was there, or when I was sleeping, or when I was in a trance, or whatever it is, God came to me and he said, X, Y, Z, you have to follow this. That as a skeptic is how I would assume that all the religions should start. Again, assuming that they're lies. I'm not saying we should, when we're going into things, you have to come with open minds, fine. But I'm just pointing out that we would, certainly we would expect a religion that is not true to have started with a lie. And lies have to always be unfalsifiable because if it's falsifiable, nobody's going to believe it. When you look at all other religions, what kind of claims do they have? Do they start with unfalsifiable claims or do they start with falsifiable claims? 
and, and just as an aside, what would a falsifiable claim be over here in terms of religion? Again, if the unfalsifiable claim is that God spoke to me. Nobody can disprove or prove, verify or falsify what I'm saying. And again, that's what a liar would say. So that would be an unfalsifiable statement. What would a falsifiable statement be? God came to me in front of you, or God came to you, God came to a bunch of us. If I try to convince a certain people of a religion, let's say I want to take a group, I want them to convert to this religion. So what would a falsifiable claim be? God came to me in front of you. God came to you and told you to do a certain thing. God came to other people, and here they are. And then you should do these things. So any of these claims would be falsifiable because then you'd have to, it's easily disproven if God came to me or if God came to you in front of me or these people. And so where are these people? So all these claims are different falsified. So that's the kind of claim we would expect a religion if it's true to start with. That doesn't have to be, as we'll say, but we would want that. And we're going to get into that in those details later. But certainly as a non-true religion, as a false religion, we would expect that it's unfalsifiable. Again, it would mean God came to me. Nobody can prove or disprove this point. Now, when we look through all other religions of the world, in fact, again, all other religions, except for we're putting Judaism on the side for now. But if we just focus on all other religions of the world, we will see that every single one of their claims is unfalsifiable. Now, I don't mean to say some of the details in the religion. We're going to make that distinction in a moment. I mean that I'm talking about the origin of the religion. How do you know how you're convincing me that God has a, this is the plan that God wants for me. This is his, these are his instructions. Well, okay. When did he communicate that to you? How do you know? How do I, how am I supposed to know? When was the moment that God came to you and told you his instructions for the world? You claim to have them. Okay. How'd you get them? Very simple question. It's called the origin of the religion. What is the origin of your religion? Again, you claim that you have the instructions that God gave to mankind. That's that's a nice claim. When did this happen? How did this happen? Where did this happen? Give me the details of how you got these instructions. That's going to be the claim of origin of religion. And that's the only thing right now we're focusing on. We're not, as we're going to explain later on, we're not focusing on details within the religion. We're focusing on the origin of, of the religion. Why do I? Why should I believe that God came to you? as opposed to anybody else, let's say. There's many people claiming this. What, what makes you believable as opposed to others? So what is the claim of origin of religion? So if we go through any religion, then you will find that the claim of the religion, the origin of the religion, is always unfalsifiable. Again, as a skeptic, this makes a lot of sense. If I assume that they're liars, or if I even am coming with an open mind, I'm, I'm just pointing out that this is exactly what liars would say. So again, this is as a skeptic, but we do find this. We do find that all other religions in the world all start with an unfalsifiable claim. By Christianity, there's different points you could point out to, but you have Mary who comes home to her husband and Joseph, and she's pregnant. She claims it's not his. And then Joseph says an angel came to him and explained that this is God's baby. Okay. So that's the beginning of the religion. And Yoshka was a post supposedly resurrected. Nobody has claimed to actually see the resurrection, but they do claim that they saw him after the time he was supposedly, he was dead. Okay, where, we'll, we'll see more in the details about this, but there's, where are these people? Who are these people a lot? Okay, we'll, we'll see in the details of this. But again, it's something, the resurrection is something that is pretty much unfalsifiable. I claim there's a res- resurrection. Okay. And more than this really is the main part with Christianity, which is that Paul has claimed, claimed to have these visions from Yoshka himself, from God. And when was this? It was on a road to Damascus, and he was pretty much by himself. He might have claimed that there are other people there, but nobody's seen these other people. And so who are they? Where are these people? 
So they're pretty much, it was really one person. The, the message really came to Paul only. The other people were, might have been in the area, but the message certainly was only to Paul. And we're going to get into the details of all this in Mir Tashem soon. But basically the point is, God came to one person. God came to this, or an angel came to Joseph, or they say God in the form of Jesus. They say this, it came to, spoke to a person over here, a resurrected, whatever it is, that it's really one or two people are starting this, unfalsifiable. If you go to, Islam. Again, we're going to get back to why why it is that when they say there's multiple people here, that also is still unfalsified. We're, we're going to get all to, that's going to expl- be explained. We talk about Islam. It was Muhammad claims to have heard a message from God that he was chosen to be the holy prophet, and he went into a cave. This is the story they say he went into a cave and he and they spoke to the Malach Gavriel. He says, and he came out to and came basically with the Quran. It was different times, whatever the details are. But nope, there's nobody else except for Muhammad to hear these messages. There was no one there witnessing it wasn't a bunch of people, only basically you, you believe his word or you don't believe him. Unfalsifiable. Maybe Muhammad's mother also heard of something, but again, one or two people. Buddhism was one person. He claims to be super, supernaturally enlightened while he was in the midst of a meditative trance. And he woke up, he enlightened the rest of the world with his, with his, obtained, with his supernaturally obtained truths. Okay, so again, either believe him or you not. Mormons, similar type of thing. A man named Joseph Smith came, uh, claims to have, uh, he's been visited by angels, Yashka, Hashem, everybody, and then explained to him that all religions are fake, and he gave him the secret direction to some golden luchai, some tablets with important messages, and then he claims to have eventually located these tablets and also recorded the messages, and now that's what's called the Book of Mormons. And his friend of Oliver Cowdery also claims to have been visited by the apostles and disciples of Yashka, who gave on Cowdery and Smith some type of priesthood. Okay, that's, again, the claim is by one person. And those are only five, four religions that we went through. Um, But everyone is the same, pretty much. If you go through the list of all other religions in the world, they're all the same. They start with one or two people claiming to have heard from something from God. So what are we to make of this? So again, it certainly raises a red flag. Because in the end of the day, we're 100% relying on these people. And you can't come and tell me that you ha- you should rely on, let's say, this person and that person because he was a prophet, because that's already assuming what you're trying to prove. If you're trying to prove that this person spoke to God and I'm claiming he didn't, and you say, well, you should believe him because he's a prophet, well, obviously that's circular. So what trustworthiness do these people, do these people have? I don't know. To me, nothing. So it's either they're telling a lie or telling the truth. But again, certainly they're telling a lot, they're telling an unfalsifiable statement and they're acting exactly how a liar would act in this scenario. If a liar were to make up a religion, he would certainly start it the same way all other religions are started. It doesn't mean for sure that they're lying. I'm not disproving other religions, but it does discredit them in the sense that they really can't be proven. They cannot be proven at all. If, I, if it's an unfalsifiable statement, the point is that they can't be proven. And it's exactly what a liar, it can be disproven, but it, just as strong, just as importantly, cannot be proven also. So everything they're saying is something that just simply can't be proven. Now let's take a slight detour in this. I want to discuss a little bit more about other religions, but it's really all on this point, really. It really goes all, it's all use of, it's all sourced on this point, what we're discussing right now. So because a religion is really only as strong as a claim it's based on, so it becomes very simple to discredit. Again, not to disprove them. When I say discredit, I mean to say, to ask them to prove it. If I tell you, if I say to you that you're making a nice claim, but you can't prove it, so that's a little bit discrediting your claim. Because again, your claim if your claim is really true, why couldn't you prove it? If what you're saying is true, so show it to me. If God really came to you, then show me. Not Don't show me what you claim he said. Show me that God came to you. Why would God not want you me to know also? 
So it's it's discrediting them in the sense that you're basically making it all dependent on a person and maybe he's lying, maybe he's not. Again, not disproving, but simply I'm placing the ball in their courts. Prove it. You claim that your prophet saw whatever he saw. So I'm asking you simply to prove what you're saying. Do you have anything corroborating that this evidence? Do you have this claim? Do you have any evidence of this? Or is it just your word? And, and really, if all these religions, it's really all their word. So because of this, when we talk about other religions, I personally feel that there's no necessity to, first of all, in general, you don't have to understand all the details about the religions in order to question it. People have this idea that if you want to question something or you want to really understand something, you have to understand everything about it in order to disprove it. That's, that's simply not true. All you have to do is understand, you don't have to sh- exhibit any expertise in Christianity. You don't, have to the old, you, have to, you don't have to know the New Testament. You don't have to know the whole Quran. Now, it definitely helps when you do it. The more you know, the better, obviously. If you can expose certain things, then obviously the more you know, the more you're able to expose if you think you're, you're not telling, they're not telling the truth. But it's not 100% necessary to know all the details. What you simply have to know is really the point of divergence between you and them. So where is it exactly the place you argue? And wh- where do you agree? And first of all, where do you do agree? And then at what point do you diverge and you go on your separate paths? So if we could agree on certain things, fine. But at what point do you come and say, now I disagree with you, I'm starting my own, we'll call it, I believe in my own religions. Okay, so let's talk about that point of divergence. Where do you disagree? All you have to do is know that per- that point, and that's where you could attack. Again, this is not t- the point to attack, but the point is that's where you that's where the claim is weakest. That's exactly where if somebody, if you really want to know whether it's true or not, you have to focus on that point. So for all the other religions, really the point is, let's, let's take a little bit of Christianity, for for example, it's assuming that they agree with the Old Testament, that Kaddish Baruch created the world in seven days, and he gave the Torah, and then later on they disagree, so you just ask, where is it they disagree? So let's say, let's say they disagree because later on God came to Paul and told him to change the instructions, that he wants to change the instructions that he gave to mankind, so all you have to do is on that point, focus on that point, and simply say, who says? I mean, I will get to that in detail, but you just have to focus on that point of where they disagree. So let's talk about this a little bit more. And they would say that really we agree with the the Tanakh, let's say, and they even try proofs, find proofs for Christianity in the Tanakh. But they hold later on that God came down into a body in the form of Yashka and he died and he was reborn in order to cleanse sins from all of humanity. So if I want to talk about this and I want to ask myself, do I believe this? Or why should I believe this? So a lot of people, what they do, they get involved in the details. So Christianity would say that, look, there's a proof from Yeshayahu chapter 53 or chapter 7 or whatever else, that really the Navi was referencing Yoshka and so on and so forth. So those are all the details. Those are small details in whether this or that, a proof that, that you don't need to spend time on that. You can just focus on the one point of divergence. And they say that Hashem, Chasr came into a body and made all the Torah not relevant anymore. You don't have to keep the Torah. And then the details are the details, whatever they are. Is the proof or not? That's another point. It also doesn't pay to argue on the details because if I deny, if I don't believe the whole starting point and I don't have to, everything else, their whole religion is built on their starting point. But if I just undercut it, I don't believe it. I don't have to deal with the details. So let's say a Christian comes and he says that, like I said, Yeshayahu chapter 53 is about Mashiach who dies for the sins of the Jewish people. It says he was tortured and so on and so forth. They say it refer, refers to Jesus. So this is a little bit, little bit of different example of what we're talking about, but just the same, the same type of idea, which is, okay, just ask a simple question. Who says Yoshka was Mashiach? Do you have ev- any evidence to support this claim? 
Why should I believe it? You say that uh, yeah, Ishayahu chapter 53 refers to Mashiach. Okay, let's even assume that for a second. According to, it, it doesn't, but let's even assume that for one second. So now they say, and Jesus was that Mashiach. And you see, clearly he's describing Yoshka. So I say to you, who says he's describing Yoshka? Maybe he's describing somebody else. Is You come with a claim that Yoshka is Mashiach, and then you try and put it into the Yeshayahu. I'm not going to discuss it whether it's in Yeshayahu. I'm talking about your claim. Who says Yoshka was Mashiach? Do you have any reason for it? Paul claims he had a revelation from God through Yoshka. Who says? Why should I believe it? Is there any evidence, any proof? It's 100% his word we're taking. So why should I accept his word? You're going to tell me because he's a prophet? Again, that's circular. So I don't. There's, I, I see no reason. You're not submitting any evidence to me, any reason for me to assume that what he's saying is true. Tell me why I should accept his word. And if I don't accept that, then everything else is worthless as well. I don't need to understand all the philosophies of Christianity to understand that the entire claim stands on a very rickety stool, according to what I would say. It stands on the word of one man. So I don't need to get into the debate about whether a human being or human sacrifice is something the Torah believes in or not. The blood of human. That, again, those are the details. The question is, why would I accept this idea when the whole structure is founded on, in my mind, nothing to believe on? Again, I'm not disproving it, but there's no reason for me to believe such a thing. And we're going to see later on, there's many other reasons not to, to believe it. But the same, and the same thing goes for Islam. So where's the point of origins of your religious belief? So again, you agree that before your religion, God had not delivered his message, whether, or maybe he did, but he was going to change it. And then at some point, he delivered it. So in the case of Islam, to Muhammad, he delivered it. And that's when he delivered his message to the world, or his final message to the world. Fine. What proof or evidence do you have to suggest this? Why wouldn't God tell me? If God wants me to know it, why is he only telling you? Why is God making it such a weak claim? So you could even ask that. But even more basic than that, what evidence, what reason do you have that I should believe your word? Let's give another example of this, of this idea of how we could just undercut an entire argument by going to the source. Now, it's not the source of Christianity we're going to talk about, but it's the source of the claim. It's always that I don't have to accept their claim. So this the following one I'm about to read you is a quote from somebody who is coming to de- debate uh, a rabbi about Christianity. The rabbi's name is Rabbi, Tuvi, Rabbi Tuvia Singer. He's very good in talking about Christianity, if you want to <clears throat> know a little bit more about it. And this person was debating him, and not to his face, but really it was a, is a response. He made this video as a response. And he says as follows, this is the quote, if Jesus was really, if really was resurrected, this is the quote, then almost everyone would agree that this shows his divinity and his claims to be Messiah. And then he goes on, that's end quote, and then he would go on to explain that he thinks Jesus was resurrected because there's evidence which we'll get to at some point. Now, let's just take this quote. Again, I want us to read it again. If Jesus really was resurrected, then almost everyone would agree that this shows his divinity and its claim to be Messiah. That was the quote. Now, again, we could spend our time arguing about whether or not the resurrection happened, whether there's any proof for that, whether it's unfalsifiable, why it is unfalsifiable, which we'll, we'll get to. But it's much easier to simply say as follows, that, you know what, I don't care whether he was re- resurrected or not. That doesn't show me that he was Mashiach, and it doesn't show me that he's Chas Shalom God. It doesn't show me that he's Mashiach, because there are no, there's, doesn't say anywhere that Mashiach has to be resurrected, or let's say it this way, it doesn't say anywhere that somebody who is resurrected by definition is Mashiach. That doesn't say that. It also, does, it says other, re- other signs we should know he's Mashiach, and he certainly didn't fulfill any of those, and it certainly, Chas Shalom doesn't say that he's God, what kind of claim is this? It's, it's almost an insane claim. 
And who is this almost everyone? Is, is this truth decided by popular vote that because almost everyone thinks so, therefore makes it true? So we, we have examples in Tanakh of people who, who literally brought back other people from the dead. We have Elio and Navi and Elisha and Navi. Every, they, all, they brought, they did Chiasamesim. It's recorded in Navi. The, some Rishonim, the Meir even says that the Rishonim, or the Amoraim, excuse me, not the Amoraim, the Amoraim, anyone who's in the Gemara was capable of Chiasamesim. Okay, so what? There were people who were brought back themselves from the dead. Uh, the, I think it's a Chazal that says that Elisha brought back Yonah Hanavi. That was the boy who did, who was, who did Chiasamesim too. So do we think Yonah Hanavi is Mashiach? Do we think that he's Chasvasham divine, that he's part of God? No, there's nothing to that. So why do I, why do I have to accept anything you're saying? Again, you're making this claim that because a person's resurrected, therefore he's divine in Mashiach. No, not true. I don't have to believe that. Where'd you get that from? Why, why should I believe such a thing? So it's always, it's very easy to simply attack the entire claim, the whole foundation of what they're saying. Why should I believe such a thing? They, they're trying to sell, they're trying to sell people things that there's no reason for people to buy. It's, they made a claim, they made a narrative that if, if the person is resurrected from the dead, he must be Mashiach or a God. And then they go convince us how there really was a resurrection because it says so in the Gospels, which is obviously a, a silly circular proof because if I don't accept the whole thing, that's not really good proof. But leaving that aside, we don't have to accept the whole narrative. So it's the same thing with anything that he's saying about healing the blind or walking on water. It doesn't make a difference. A person comes and says to you, do you believe that Jesus walked on water? You can simply respond, yeah, no problem. So he walked on water. So what? What's the big deal? If someone actually said this to me, do you believe that Jesus walked on water? I said, I have no problem believing it. So he does miracles. So what? There's also, there happens to be a parish in the Torah that says a false novi could do miracles, but whatever, who cares? So he did miracles. Therefore what? Therefore he's half God. Therefore, he, he's Mashiach. Well, where it? There's many other people who did many other miracles, but didn't have that same claim attached to him. So you're making a claim, you're attaching a claim to him that if because Jesus did this, therefore he's, he's God. I don't have to accept any of your claims. Let him walk in water. Let him hear the blind. What's the difference? Does it mean that the Torah is unnecessary? It means that we could cancel the Torah? Well, the Torah itself says you can't, well, you can't diminish from it. You can't take anything away from it. So why should I accept your claim? Why should I have any, anything attached to your claim at all? Is there any, if God wants to tell me, let him tell me. Why do I have to believe you? And especially with you not submitting any evidence, I should believe this to you. I believe this. So really, it all comes down to this one question. Is who said that God really said what you're claiming? He said. Meaning, we could deal with the details of religion another time. It's not really the point. We could decide, we could see how they do corrupt texts and certain things and they say silly, silly things. But that's not even relevant. It's not worth our time. It's very simply... Those are just examples of how you do it on, on other arguments as well. But it's really, it's all the same point of attacking the point of origin, attacking their claim. Who said, a very simple question, who said that you're right? Who said you have the right message? Who said that God said this to you? Do you have any evidence to this? The case of every single religion is the answer is that one or two people claim that they receive God's message. And that means by definition, they're all unfalsifiable. So yes, if I say I can't disprove it, but you can't prove it, you can't prove it either to me. So then what's it really worth? It's all, I'm all relying on this one person or two people who could easily be lying. Again, the point is that even though we can't prove they are lying because of the nature of the claim they make, we do know that liars would say exactly what these people say. As well, we mentioned that based on what we said at the beginning, there is no proof by the fact that many people follow them. You cannot bring a proof of Christianity's veracity, the truth of Islam, because many people follow them. That's not, you could say something else, that God would want his religion, whatever, but that's already getting into God's mind, and why should I do that? But leaving that point aside, just simply by the fact that millions of people follow something is not a proof at all that is true. Again, an unfalsifiable claim is not proved by the number of people who, who believe it. 
they couldn't know one way or another. So ultimately, you're all, always anyways just relying on the one person who said it. If you have a charismatic leader or a forceful leader or someone who promises a lot of good things, so you'll get people to follow you. People will be willing to follow you for a lot less than what Christianity or Islam, let's say, has promised. But as long as it's, and they'll, and they'll follow, it doesn't show anything. It doesn't show anything because ultimately we're still relying on that one person who said what he said. Now, just as an aside, if somebody ever tries to bring this idea that, well, how can millions of people be wrong? It's actually, there's a very simple way. I've heard different people say this following very, very simple way of showing that millions of people can be wrong, which is that there are millions of atheists, there are millions of Christians, and there are millions of Muslims, and there are millions of maybe even other types of religions as well. One of them has to be wrong. The other ones are, everybody's claiming that the other one's wrong, and we claim they're all wrong, but certainly at least one of these religions has to be wrong. Even according to them, they have to be wrong. So you see very simply that millions of people can be wrong. And let's say there are millions of people who believe in God, there are millions of people who are atheists. So we know millions of people are wrong, for sure. One of that has to be. And there are many, many intelligent people who are atheists and many, many intelligent people who believe in God. Well, some of them are wrong. So we see many intelligent people can be wrong. So it's not a proof that many people believe something, and it's not a proof that many intelligent people believe something. Now, having said all this, we've really seemingly put Judaism back up, it's back up against the wall, because seemingly it's it's in in line with the other religions. Just the fact that many people believed it doesn't prove anything we just said. So we'll get to that. Now, let's just point out this one thing, that of all religions in the world we were discussing, except for Judaism, everything we said applies, everything except for Yiddishkeit. But Judaism actually does something different than anybody else. Judaism does not start with an unfalsifiable claim. It doesn't say that one or two people took this out of, uh, one or two people, God spoke to one or two people. It does not say that God just spoke to Moshe and Moshe brought the Torah to Jewish people. It does not say that anywhere. Not in the Torah anyway, it doesn't say that. And that's not the claim at all. Judaism claims that God took approximately 3 million men, women, and children out of Egypt and spoke to all of them at Mount Sinai. Now, let's not even analyze whether this is true or not. Just point out the it's an astounding anomaly that this presents. Every religion, and there, are, and there, are, I, I got different numbers on this. I'm going to go with the more conservative number of over 1,500 different religions in the world. Let's say with that number, over a thousand religions in the world, and yet every single one of them starts with the claim that no one can know whether it's true or false. Every single one of them starts exactly the way you would expect a liar to start an unfalsifiable claim. It's either true, either not. Who knows? It's all based on the one person who started. Everyone except for Judaism. Judaism makes a completely audacious claim that God spoke to millions of people. So again, without even going into the details, just realize how abnormal this this is. That it's the only one out of over a thousand to start simply by saying that God spoke to millions of people. And we're going to discuss details of why exactly it's unfalsifiable. But at least you could hear right away, if I claim to you something, God spoke to millions of people, the first thing you should ask me is, if I'm really lying, where are these people? So that's just in very, very short. We're going to get into the details, Mr. Shem. But you see very clearly, just as if you look, if you take this chart and you chart it down and you, and you, you show how many people are at the starting point at the origin of religion. So by every religion, it's one or two, one or two, one or two. And then you get to Judaism, it's claimed to be three million. Again, just the claim. We're not showing yet that it's true. We're just pointing out that, as we said, it's an unfalsifiable, it is a falsifiable claim, millions of people. And we're going to dissect that why, why it is exactly, why, why that is exactly. But it is an unfalsifiable claim. And again, we said just the fact that somebody makes an unfalsifiable claim already should give credence. And certainly the fact that people believe a falsifiable claim 
should strengthen the claim very, very much. And you have that by Judaism. You have, number one, it's falsifiable. And number two, people have believed it. So right away, without getting into all the details, right away, this should show us something. Again, this is not proving it just yet, but as a, for an honest person to look at the, the distinction between Judaism and every other religion, the, sh- the very strong distinction between them, the vast contrast between Judaism and other religions, that it's, again, it's not just a matter of a matter of people, it's in quality, the fact that one, everything else is falsifiable, sorry, uh, everything else is unfalsifiable, and Judaism is falsifiable. Three million versus one, two, or one, two is a vast difference. And yet Judaism makes that exact claim, and it got away with a claim. exclusive content on patreon you can submit your question and get them answered only for members on patreon don't forget to check out our own website msofterror.com and remember we are wherever you get your podcasts apple spotify google podcasts subscribe to know when the next episode is being released the podcast is produced by ellie podcast productions